This is actually our last week in our series, Driftwood Hope, and I hope that it has been as encouraging to you as it has been to me. It has been really fun to look at stories through, uh, the biblical stories through a different lens, through the character and sort of what they experienced and how relevant that is to our experience today. Now, this morning, we're actually going to be looking at a story that's found in Genesis. It's the, one of the, it's the first book of the Bible, and it's about sort of this slave girl who happens to be a, this side character, and her name is Hagar. Now, we aren't really given a glimpse of how young Hagar came to be this woman Sarah's property, but chances are she was given as a gift from Pharaoh to Sarah and her husband, husband Abram when they were living in Egypt. And now as the family has left Egypt, Hagar, along with all of the possessions that, Adam, uh, that um, uh, Abram and Sarah have, goes to, follows them blindly. She really had no choice because after all, she was a slave in that culture. In that day, she was just a piece of property. And so hidden with all the other possessions, she moves out with Abram and Sarah's household. And there isn't a lot of choices and a lot of opportunities for slaves. So we really don't know how she understood this transfer of ownership, whether she thought this was good or a better situation or bad and a worse situation. Now, at first, the situation for Hagar seemed to be the most that a slave could ask for. As a young slave, it would have been really likely for her to sort of been used as a concubine for anybody who sort of wanted her. But what we find is that 10 years after being in Sarah and Abram's household, Hagar is still a virgin, which means at best, Sarah protected her and was trying to protect her and, and offer the best hope and the best life she could have as a slave. Or at worst, Hagar was just invisible and nobody really saw her, which honestly wasn't too bad for her. But when a day came, it sort of changed everything for Hagar. Abram had heard from his God, Yahweh, again. So the first time that Abram had heard from his God, it was 20 years ago. And God, Yahweh, had called Abram out of his land, away from his family, away from everything that he knew, into a new place, into a place that he didn't know. And God had told him that he was going to give him land and a family, that he was going to be a great nation, that he was going to bless him so abundantly that all of the world would be blessed through Abram. No, this was a big deal. And, and for the whole household, they all knew that this promise had been given to Abram. Everyone knew the story of this promise. The entire household, both slave and free alike, probably held on to hope and joy. This, this promise made them special. And Hagar probably felt the same way. It gave her hope and joy like it did for everyone. However, among some of the household, there was whispers. There was sort of this talk that was kept hush-hush. How is Abram going to be a great nation if he has no children? Now, this was a bitter subject. And even though a successor had been chosen, 
There seemed to be sort of a hole in this whole plot line. But now, that's not true anymore. See, when Yahweh came to visit Abram again, the hole had been filled. A promise had been made. Yahweh had spoken again, and a son was to be born. Abram's son. Abram's. A son was to be born. God said that he would increase Abram's descendants so much that they would be too much to even count all through this son. Now, I'm sure that Hagar was as excited as every member of the household was to hear about this son. It's just that Hagar didn't know how this was going to change her life and how she was going to become a part of this story. See, time passed, and still no son came. And disappointment and doubt began to just rest on the entire household, especially Sarah. See, she had been barren her whole life. As the wife of Abraham, she was the likely candidate to bear the son, but no. And so she, like the rest of the household, had thought that, that she was supposed to be the mother, that she was supposed to have the son too. But month after month after month, she felt deeper and deeper into hopeless bewilderment. And I'm sure an ancient conversation popped up into her head and it went like this. Did God really say? You see, all ancient manipulative conversations start this way. Did God really say that you were supposed to have a son? No, she thought. Oh, no. God said that Abraham was supposed to have a son. Actually, come to think of it, God never said that it was my son. It was just Abram's son. Maybe it's supposed to be somebody else. Maybe it's somebody else is supposed to have the son, and, and Sarah was just supposed to raise the son. It wasn't uncommon. There were lots of people that did it. And then, as that conversation played in her head, she looked up and saw Hagar. But she didn't see Hagar. What she saw was an opportunity to use her to get what she wanted, to get which would make her worthy and valuable. And isn't that just the way that God's beautiful plans begin to go wrong? We don't see the people in front of us. We see the opportunity we can use them for. When we exchange our ways for God's ways, when we exchange God's wisdom for our wisdom, when we grasp for the fruit that has not been given to us, when we trade in receiving God's gifts for achieving God's gifts, And it all ends in a great big fall of brokenness and sin and death. And so like Adam, who reached, who agreed with Eve and took the fruit, Abram agreed with Sarah and took Hagar. And we aren't told what Hagar was thinking or feeling about becoming Abram's wife. Was she excited about the potential of moving from a slave to a slave wife? (laughs) Or... Was she humiliated to be forced as property into something that she had no choice about? And really, did Hagar's feelings matter anyways? I mean, she was just a slave after all. But we do know that once she knew she was pregnant, something in Hagar changed. Now, I can imagine that 
when she would look at Sarah, she'd see her in the tent or in the field, and there would sort of be this bitterness or this resentment that would well up in Hagar for Sarah, who had forced her into this position. I imagine that that bitterness soon gave away to fear. Sarah's gonna take my kid. This child that I carry is not going to be my own. And so a fear developed for Sarah. She couldn't let that happen. After all, it gave way to superiority. She was the one carrying Abraham's son, not Sarah. Sarah didn't deserve it. Sarah couldn't do it. Sarah wasn't worthy. And there was no mask that could hide this despised feeling that Hagar had for Sarah. I mean, wrong or not, it's pretty normal. And so filled with anger and rage at how Hagar despised her, Sarah went to the one who had really caused this whole thing in the first place, Abram. I mean, Abram was the one that came home and was like, hey, there's going to be a son, na 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 garbage. Abram was the one who started this whole thing. And so Sarah went to Abram and said, you, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my slave between your legs and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Essentially, she's saying, may the Lord judge between what you've done and what I've done and find you way more culpable for this whole thing. It's all your fault. But Abram with the classic like, hey, don't look at me, responds to her saying, listen, she's your slave. She's still your property. Do what you want with her. And so fueled with anger and empowered by her husband, Sarah beat Hagar and heaped impossible workloads on top of her to make her life completely miserable. Now stop for a second. What are we supposed to do with this story? Like, seriously, think about it. What are we supposed to do with this story? Abram and Sarah are supposed to be like the mother and father of our faith. These are the people that God has chosen to sort of bring in the line of Jesus to be the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. And yet here they are. beating and enslaving a person, forcing them to do their will, oppressing and using them for their profit and gain, all the while like covering it and cloaking it in this guise that like, oh, this is God sanctioned. Here we have this sweet 75-year-old Sarah beating a slave and forcing her into a sexual relationship with her husband. And then we have this 85-year-old Abram abdicating responsibility and saying, well, it's not my problem. I didn't do it. I don't know what to tell you. What do we do with this story? What do we do with this story? See, the thing is, is that if there's any time that we're reading Scripture with this idea that Sarah and Abraham are the main characters, that they're the heroes or that they're the people we're supposed to model our lives 
after. When, when we read this story, what we have to do with it is hide it. <laughs> we have to bury it. We have to like not acknowledge that it even happened or that it's real. We have to turn a blind eye to what Abram and Sarah are doing. We have to turn a blind eye to what Hagar is experiencing. And we have to vilify Hagar to sort of make it look like she deserved what happened and make Abram and Sarah just look a little bit more not so bad. That's what we have to do to this story. Any time that we look at any story in scripture or history and we sort of uh, place the burden and responsibility on a person or a group to be the hero, the reality is, is that that is a role that they were never supposed to bear. Anytime we do that, we oftentimes put the wrong person in the spotlight because the only person who can bear the title of hero in this story or really any story in history is God. And so as we read this story and and really any story, we have to recognize that this story isn't about Abram and Sarah. It isn't really even about Hagar. It's about God. We have to look at God as the hero. We have to look at how God shows up and who God shows up for. And so going back to the story, Sarah continued to inflict pain on Hagar as if the child inside of her didn't exist. And if the child inside of her didn't exist, and then she didn't exist to anybody either. And as pregnant Hagar looked out into the vast, desolate desert, she wondered which would be better, (laughs) heading out alone in the desert with no place to go, no family, no water, maybe dying, or staying here with Sarah, her abuser. And each day, the appeal of the desolate desert seemed better and better and better until the day came that she went for it. She took off. She ran away into the desert without a single provision. Anything was better than where she was in that moment. And as she ran southwest, the best she could figure was she was heading for Egypt. She was heading for home. And she found a stream. What luck, water the giver of life in the desert, and she drank it deeply and she cooled herself by the water. And as she did, she thought, maybe I can make it. Maybe I will be okay. There's water here after all. And then all of a sudden, her thoughts were interrupted by someone who seemed to appear out of nowhere and said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? Hagar was baffled. How did, how did you get here? How did you know my name? How, how had you seen me? Who are you? And she looked to the left and to the right hesitantly and answered, um, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. But Hagar had this overwhelming feeling that, that this person who stood in front of her wasn't just another person, that this person was different. And then he said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. (laughs) Hagar's mouth dropped open. Uh, She didn't even have the nerve to say anything in reply. But in her head, she was thinking, are you kidding me? 
Do you know what I've lived through? There is no way that I could ever go back there. Until this person standing in front of her said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And as if this was like a secret passphrase for Hagar, she did a double take. Wait, wait, what, what did you just say? That was, that was the same phrase that, that, that Abram's God had spoken to Abram. Yahweh had told him the same thing about his descendants, that they would be too numerous to count. Could, could this mean that this is Yahweh? Is Abraham's God speaking to me, a servant? Is God standing right in front of me? Is God giving me a promise too? Does God see me? And yes, the pre-incarnate Christ stands before Hagar and sees her in her abuse and in her pain and in her invisibility. And out of a great love for her, he meets her, a woman, the unempowered of society, a slave, the lowliest of society, an Egyptian, the unchosen people. And yet God sees her. And God goes and he looks for her because out of his love, he is moved to action for her and her pain. And the pre-existing Christ tells her what is ahead for her and her son. He says, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Now, in the eyes of a Western middle-class person, this is hardly the prophecy that a mother wants to hear about her kid. Your kid's going to be a wild donkey. They're going to be hostile to everyone that they meet. Their hands are always going to be fighting. But do you know what this meant to a slave woman from Egypt who had been oppressed and abused and mistreated? This meant that her son was going to live and that her son was going to be a fighter, and that her son wasn't gonna give up, and that her son was gonna offer protection, and that they would be free, that they would be liberated, that there would be hope, that this moment in the middle of the desert when she's running from her abuser into a place that means death, that this is not the end. And so in a moment of celebration and joy, Hagar does something that no other woman is ever given the privilege to do in scripture. She names God. See, Hagar's the first person to which this pre-incarnate Christ appears to. And she's the first woman in the Bible whom God makes a direct promise. And she's the only person in the Old Testament who's able to name God. You see, Jacob and Abraham, they later name the place where they saw God, but only Hagar gives God a name. And she gives him this name. It means you are the God who sees me. 
See, after years, maybe a lifetime of being completely invisible, Hagar has been seen by the almighty God. And now Hagar has to go back. Now, if I'm honest, this is the part of the story that is the most unsettling to me. (laughs) Over and over again, as I look throughout scripture, I see God being a God who actually sets the prisoners free, (laughs) who is on the side of the oppressed and liberates them, who heals the broken and breaks the bondage. And yet in this moment, in this story, what God says is, go back. And it's hard to swallow It seems as though God didn't really change the situation at all. Not enough, anyways. And yet God sends Hagar back to the same oppressive situation that she was in before. Now, I feel that way. And maybe you feel that way as you're reading it. But I don't think Hagar feels that way. Because she does, she goes back. For Hagar, she feels like this situation has completely changed because she's been seen by the Almighty God. See, Hagar knew now that she was not alone. However hopeless life might have looked, it didn't look hopeless anymore. However hard it was, she knew that she was tougher because God was on her side because God had seen her. She had the promise that one day she would have a son and that she would have a family and that God had given her a promise. She would have multiple descendants. Hagar was a slave now, but she would become the mother of many. And Hagar had hope that there was a plan and a purpose for her life, even for her suffering And so even though she was sitting by a stream of water, she decided to return and submit to God by submitting to Sarah. And having been seen and having hope made this call to go back to Sarah sufferable. Now, on a quick side note, there are some people that may read the story and interpret it, that an abused person should go back to their abuser And I want to speak to that really quickly. That unless Christ shows up in his his physical form, as he does with Hagar, and he speaks to you and says, this is what you're supposed to do, return to your abuser. This is not what you're supposed to do. If Christ hasn't shown up with you in a physical form and said return, you're not supposed to return. If you are in an abused situation, you are supposed to get out, find help. Reach out to someone who can help you out of that situation. But some of us are not in abusive situations. We're just in difficult situations. We're in places where we don't feel seen or heard. Where the journey ahead is really tough. And we're invited to return into that situation. To remain present and to hold on to hope. But in and of ourselves, we cannot muster this type of hope that's needed to remain present. It has to come from Jesus. Now, years later in this story, Hagar actually finds herself in the desert again. Ishmael is now a teenager, and Sarah has conceived and given birth to Isaac, the son of the promise. And Sarah, maybe out of bitterness, maybe out of fear, maybe out of sadness, She demands that Hagar and her child be sent away. And so with a bit of food and a water bottle, 
She is sent into the desert. Now, although they are free, they have very little opportunity to survive. And they find themselves in the middle of the desert on the brink of death. And Hagar lays Ishmael under a tree to die. And Hagar walks away because she cannot bear to hear the screams of her child as he dies. But do you know who does hear the boy's cry? God. You see, in that moment, God speaks to Hagar from heaven and he says, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And in that moment, God opens Hagar's eyes to see a well of water that she gives to the boy and to herself that they might live. Now, do you know why God heard Ishmael's cries? First of all, Ishmael's name means God hears. Years ago when God proclaimed and prophesied, this is the name you're to give him. Sort of this clue, listen, I'm always going to hear you. I will always hear your cries. But the reason that God was able to hear Ishmael's cry was because years later, God would turn a deaf ear to his own son as he cried out for his father while dying on the cross. It is because God allowed Jesus to die for us that God is able to hear Ishmael's cries and spare him from death. And this is what Jesus has done for me and for you as well. That God can hear your cries in your pain, in your invisibility, and in your suffering because Jesus cried out on the cross. And so whatever pain or affliction or mistreatment that you are in the middle of, cry out to God because he sees you and he hears you. God is at work even when it seems like you are invisible. And God will provide a way out even when it seems like there is no way out. Today my prayer is that you will cry out to God. And my prayer is that God would respond because he is faithful and he is the God who hears. Let's pray. Father God, there are so many different scenarios and so many different ways that we see ourselves in this story. In some ways, we see ourselves as the Hagar. We see ourselves as the Ishmael. We see ourselves as maybe Sarah and Abram. And yet in this moment, all of us, no matter which role we play, we cry out to you. And we say, God, hear me. Hear me. Give me a hope and a future. Lead me forward out of this place of death. Tell me where to go. And Father, our hearts cry, we submit to you. And so, Father, would you see us and would you hear us this morning? 
We pray all of these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen.